Gary and uh, Joan Deal, they were uh, discovered um, inside the residence with gunshot wounds to the head, and their throat was uh, also cut. And as well as Jason Deal was located in his bedroom in his pajamas um, with his throat cut. It was the night before Halloween, 1978. You might miss Folsom, New Jersey if you are not looking for it as you're driving on the Atlantic City Expressway. It's a small town, maybe 1,800 people in the southern part of the Garden State. Can't really call it a beach town or a suburb. It's a 30-minute drive from the Atlantic City boardwalk, closer to Philadelphia than New York. People here are proud, and they boast about that time New Jersey Monthly Magazine listed it as one of the best places to live in the entire state. Family-friendly, wholesome. Small enough where it's hard to keep a lot of secrets. About the same as it was here back in 1978. Everyone knows just about everyone, and anyone who knows about what happened here that October night all those years ago will never forget. I'm Dan Bowens, and this is The Tape Room, part of the Fox 5 Podcast Network. Here, we take a look back at the Tri-State's infamous or unsolved crimes. On this episode, the Deal family murder. That night before Halloween 1978, a young family found dead. The father and mother, Gary and Joan, along with their three-year-old son, Jason. They were found inside their home on Mays Landing Road. That road cuts right through the center of this small town. Who would want to kill this family, this child? The killer or killers have eluded capture for more than four decades. Now there's new hope, potential new evidence. We must warn you, this case involves violence and a small child. Our conversation now with Detective Mario Nacito of the New Jersey State Police Homicide South Unit. Detective, if you don't mind, can you just say a little bit about your job and, and, and what you do with, uh, with, with the state of New Jersey? I am a uh, detective with the New Jersey State Police and the Homicide South Unit. Uh, we investigate active um, homicide investigations as well as uh, cold cases. Um, that the state police, you know, have acquired throughout the years. And uh, so, you know, right now we, um, we, you know, we have active and then we have cold cases and we do that simultaneously, um, you know, through, throughout our, our employment. And do you remember when this case sort of came to your attention or came across, uh, across your desk? Yes, it was, um, I would say, about a, a year a little over a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, um, we were doing a um, an audit of cold cases and going through and and uh, seeing what would um, benefit which cases for the new DNA uh, advancements um, and technology that you know, were available today that weren't available then, and uh, even throughout the years leading up. And this uh, investigation, um, I started reading over and kind of inquiring uh, about it from previous detectives who uh, also had a hand in investigating it throughout the years. Um, and it, you know, sparked my interest and with, you know, learning more of the details um, of the investigation uh, with the, the possibility that this might 
um, be a, a great candidate for, um, you know, resubmitting evidence that was collected from the scene back in 1978. And I want to get to that DNA part of it, because that's such a huge part of it, but just put that aside just for now and talk a little bit about this case, because I imagine even the first time a veteran detective like yourself, when you see a case like this, some of the details involved, it has to stand out from just about anything that that you've probably worked on. Is that right? Yes. Yes. It, uh, well, while you know reviewing it, um, it is a triple homicide, and um, I'll tell you, you know, a couple of the um, the, the facts about the case. The um, state police, New Jersey State Police, they were uh, dispatched to um, Maze Landing Road in Folsom, which is in Atlantic County in New Jersey. That's down um, near, a- closer to Philadelphia. It's down in sort of the southern part of of New Jersey. Yes, yes. So they were uh, dispatched there on October 30th, 1978. Um, it was called in by family members of uh, the victims. And the, uh, the victims were located within the, the house um, by the family uh, due to the family not hearing from them uh, throughout the weekend. And it was the, uh, the family was Gary Deal um, and Joan Deal, age both 26 years old, and Jason Deal, uh, age three. And they were all located within the house, uh, deceased. So the family contacted the uh, state police, and when the state police arrived, uh, they, you know, began their investigation, and um, they, you know, conducted numerous interviews throughout the years, um, you know, between witnesses, family members, co-workers, uh, acquaintances of the uh, the victim's family, and they they uh, they, uh, they proceeded to run down the leads and, you know, exhaust the leads. And this lasted, you know, for, um, I mean, over 40 years now. And so here we have this young family, 26-year-old couple, young son, a uh, son named Jason. And it really stands out not only because it's this young family, but just the brutal nature of this crime. Can, can, and that's a part of it. Can you talk to us about some of the details about what's, what's been made public about this case? Yes. So um, Gary and uh, Joan Deal, they were uh, discovered um, inside the residence with um, uh, gunshot wounds to the head and their throat was uh, also cut. And as well as Jason Deal was located in his bedroom in his pajamas um, with his throat cut. And Joan Deal was upstairs in her bedroom, found naked on the floor, and Gary was by the front door um, right in the hallway. And and with those that that information, I mean, this is someone who was shot and had their sl- throat slit. A, a boy, who who was murdered in this way. What does that What does that say to investigators at first? It seems like something different than a burglary gone wrong or something that you know someone just sort of stumbled into. Does that is is that is that fair to say? I mean, just the 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 brutal nature of this crime. It, it has to set off. Uh, almost a different set of red flags for investigators when that when that when when some of those that details start to come out. Oh, definitely, it was uh, it definitely stuck out, especially today. I mean, you, you look at that and it's it, it it's personal. It wasn't just a uh, you know a random um, entry inside the house, like you said, for a burglary. 
And Folsom is a small town, uh, you know, in, in the southern part of, of, of New Jersey. And is it a place where crime would have been common, where there would have been some kind of, you know, were, were there burglaries in the area or people being robbed on the streets in, in the late 1970s? Or what, what, kind of, what kind of town was it at that time? No, it wasn't a high-volume high, uh, high volume crime um, area at all. But you did have, you know, transient uh, people coming through and, you know, things uh, like, you know, methamphetamine and um, those drugs were, were popular back then. And, but in that area, in, in actual Folsom, it was not a high crime area to, um, you know, to, to result in something like this. And so where does the investigation go? Uh, do they have to look to see if there was tension between the father and the wife, Gary and Joan? Do they look to see if there's some kind of extra marital affair or if he's involved or she's involved in something? I mean, what what kind of things do investigators have to start looking at at that point? Well, you, you have to start from pretty much a, a blank, uh, you know, a blank piece of paper and investigate everybody, look into everybody's life, all the details, you know, Gary, Joan, um, who they associate themselves with, their family, their relationship, and it kind of spider, uh, you know, spiders out from there. And then, you you know, talk to coworkers and see if anybody was involved in anything or somebody did not like the family or just Gary or Joan. Um, so in, in the detectives back then, they did everything. They um, went down all those roads. They uh, investigated every single detail, spoke with everybody they could that was developed at that time. And there was at the time uh, um, persons of interest who were identified. However, with, you know, looking into everything with the evidence and it just there wasn't enough to substantiate um, any criminal charges against any uh, one person. And so what did Gary do? I mean, what 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 were Gary's uh, was he was he sort of the provider of the family? Was he working and, and what was Joan doing? I mean, what what kind of a family was this? Um, they were a very well-liked family. Uh, Gary was uh, providing for his family. He worked in uh, garages and he, he had, you know, odd and odd and end jobs. Um, so, you know, he, he was, he, uh, he would really provide for his family and, um, you know, they had a lot of friends and they, uh, you know, they, um, there was really no, uh, tension or issues that, um, investigators saw, you know, initially that was going on. So he's a, he's a blue collar kind of worker. I mean, he's, he's, he's just getting, uh, getting the work where he can. He's sort of doing the work. He's, he's just trying to take care of this young family of his. Yes. And what do we know about her? What, what about Joan? A stay-at-home mom, or, or what, uh, what do we know about her? Yes, stay-at-home mom. She was uh, you know, very supportive of uh, you know, Gary and uh, took care of Jason. Um, you know, they, uh, like I said, they had a lot of friends, and they were uh, you know, well-known in, in the area um, for you know, being a, a wholesome family. And then the question is, why would anybody want to kill them? Um, there's a, you know, a lot of, a lot of information, a lot of, um, details that were, um, investigated into, and there are some things, uh, that possibly Gary, um, might've had going on with other people and, or knew other people who were doing, um, the wrong thing, uh, for a reason uh, or a motive for something like this to happen. What are we talking about here? Is that like a, like something involved in drugs or something involved in gambling? Or is that is that something that's sort of on the side there? 
Right. Yes. Yes. Right now, it's uh, it's still under an investigation. I can't give too much information on mm-hmm. um, a, a probable, uh, you know, explanation on why he was um, or why the family was targeted. But there is and has been information, um, you know, throughout these years to identify uh, persons of uh, interest who we're still looking into today, who are um, alive today. And that sort of brings us back to one of the main reasons why we're even talking about this is because of this ballistic and DNA evidence that were originally uh, collected from the crime scene. And what we know is that they've been resubmitted, additional testing, and it's, it's these technological advances. Talk to me about what those are uh, and, and, and sort of how you think it may be able to help this case. So back in 1978, when they collected uh, the DNA evidence, they collected, you know, uh, hair and blood and um, everything that was available and fibers on the scene. So back in 1978, they had blood typing, which they would only could say, oh, this type is A, this type is B. And they would, um, you know, compare it to the victims and everybody was inside the house. So today they have um, more advanced uh, DNA testing where they can actually create a profile for anybody that has, you know, been uh, arrested or have, have been in to, um, you know, the, the system throughout the nation. Right. So, and they also have what's called mitochondri- mitochondrial DNA testing, which will go back to um, the maternal side of uh, an individual to see if any relatives are a match, um, say, of a suspect. Where they collected uh, samples, and and were they able to tell then, like they are able to tell now, that there was a third person's DNA, or I guess it would be a fourth person's DNA, at the scene aside from uh, Gary Joan or the three-year-old boy Jason. I mean, that there what, are are there other pieces of of uh, DNA that were there that 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 you guys have to look at. Yes, well, um, just like we're you know what I do is I take a look at everything from you know, fresh eyes from a um, you know, first standpoint. And I want to uh, resubmit any DNA evidence or any evidence even ballistically that was collected on the scene to confirm if that was, if they you know, determined it was from the victims or if it wasn't from the victims. But right now, uh, from 1978, nothing was identified that belonged to anybody else. Mm-hmm. But again, they didn't have the advancements that we have today. So... Anything that can be tested, I did resubmit um, to the, the the labs, and that would be like the so, some of the the even even some of the I guess household items that were collected. I mean, because I imagine that in this case, yes. there's probably blood everywhere. I mean, there's there's probably different um, you know different pieces in the house that they that you guys may have still preserved and and had to send out. Yes, there's a there's an exorbitant amount of. Uh, DNA collected and fibers and hair samples. Um, the investigators, uh, detectives in 1978 did a great job with uh, the collection of evidence. And do they think, uh, I, I mean, we're looking for, I mean, the murder weapon here, and that would, I imagine, help you guys. I mean, you're, to, you're looking at uh, 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 the gun and the knife. I mean, these two things were obviously yes. never recovered. I mean, those are, those, are, those are two things that could, even to this day, could help you? Definitely. Um, you know, we know it was a 
a 25 cali- uh, caliber weapon, um, and obviously a, a knife was, uh, you know, utilized. And we are, um, in, you know, we do have ballistic evidence that was collected on the scene that if we could uh, locate or if anybody did have information about the location of the weapon could, um, you know, get that tested and uh, examined for, um, you know, similarities. Yeah, and uh, and I guess the, because um, the big thing here is that this was an execution. I mean, the way that they were killed. This was this was something that, that looked like it had had probably had to be pre-planned a little bit, maybe. Yes. Yes, definitely. And, you know, um, during the investigation you know, with witnesses and friends of the family, they said that Gary would not open the door, the front door, if he didn't know the person. Um, and, you know, it was suspected that it was in the evening hour. The light was still on outside in the front. So um, he had to know the person he was opening the door for. Something that changed changed everything. Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, you hear so much these days uh, about some of these DNA advancements solving some of these old cold case crimes. Uh, certainly had the... Golden State Killer out in California, where it was a detective who had used uh, or had sort of tried to use some of that familial DNA testing and that link to a to someone who was linked to a family member who was linked to a suspect. Is that part of uh, is that part of what we can do in New Jersey at this point? Or uh, I know I know that they've passed some uh, laws in New York State. Is that is that also on the agenda for you guys? Um, yeah, definitely. It's definitely an option. We. Uh, Right now, our uh, state police labs, they have all the DNA. They're going to run all the tests that they have um, uh, available to them. And once they're concluded, we'll get the results. We'll have a, you know, we'll sit down and we'll go over um, any additional measures that we can take. And uh, yeah, definitely, we're not taking anything off the table, um, you know, to, uh, to locate. And for you, this is a crime that happened 40 years ago. Uh, imagine that there are still friends and family who care deeply about the deals and for yourself you you step into this and it's a crime that a family deserves justice the friends deserve justice and certainly these victims deserve justice and and whoever is responsible deserves to be brought to justice how much does that weigh on you as you start to look into a case like this oh it definitely does i mean you want to um, bring closure to the family, to the friends, you know, even the community um, who was affected by this. And, you know, you, you want to be the one to, to be able to give that to them that, you know, they've been going through this for you know, over 40 years now. And, you know, I, I, I want to be the one to, to tell them, you know, we, you know, we, we, we did this, we found the person. Now, you know, at this point, you know, I know they can't move on with their life, but at least they have that closure to, uh, you know, to, to help them through it. Well, Detective, um, thank you so very much. I know uh, I know that, the, that that you're probably very busy there, and so thank you so much for making time for us. Anything else you wanted to say about the case? Uh, no, just if anybody has any information, uh, nothing is too small at all. Um, you know, it could be relevant, something that we've been looking into for the past 40 years that might assist um, into, uh, you know, information that we have, you know, to somebody or might open up a whole totally different direction. So any information uh, can come either anonymous or, um, you know, public. You can uh, contact me um, directly at the uh, New Jersey State Police, Buena Vista um, headquarters, 
at 609-561-1800 at extension 3354. Okay, Detective, uh, thank you very much, and we wish you all the best of luck with this case. Thank you. All right, thank you, sir. State police are not just relying on new technology. They're also asking anyone who might know something about the deal's death to contact the homicide unit, specifically Detective Mario Nacito. His number, 609-561-1800, extension 3354. All those tipsters can, of course, remain anonymous. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Tape Room. If you liked it, please leave us a review and rate the episode. It really helps. The Tape Room is part of the Fox 5 Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dan Bowens. This episode was recorded, edited, and mixed by Matt Onimus. Our executive producers are myself, Matt Onimus, and Ahmad Asgar. Byron Harmon is vice president of Fox 5 News, and Lou Leone is vice president and general manager. Stay tuned for the next episode of The Tape Room.